Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Abbey Normal Podcast. I'm your host, Colin. And I'm Aaliyah. And this episode is going to be a very bittersweet episode because of two things. One, this is our last episode of the season mm-hmm. until Aaliyah does another season next year mm-hmm. in February. And two, this will be my very last episode with Aaliyah to do this podcast. Yeah. And I spent a wonderful three years with her through good and bad on this on this podcast. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Through most of it, I've had so much fun doing this. And it's always been a pleasure to do this show. When she told me she wanted to do a podcast originally, I was all bored for it. And I was super excited that she wanted to do this. So that's why we lasted this long mm-hmm. to do this. And I have no regrets of doing this show at all. Don't get me wrong. Like you said, we both like doing the podcast, but things happen, things come up. Sometimes we miss a week, which is something I never wanted to do when we got into this season. But hopefully with this big change, I'll be able to get more on top of it. And in terms of having a, another co-host on the show, I have tried looking into getting people on the show. I think what I'll do next year is I'll just invite guest hosts to cover and review movies that's or, why I think it's better to do it that way, because you have the show to yourself, so you could possibly do whatever you want or talk about whatever you want, and then have guest hosts to come on and discuss things with you. Right. It's it's kind of better that way. If I had a show of my own, I would rather do it that way, of just being solo, and then just having just a bunch of guests. Like, not at once, but like each episode almost. Yeah, and over the past year, I mean, we've had guest hosts. Like, recently we had Robin Graves on. Yeah. And we had we've... we had Kellen Grant, the kid who's making his first film, mm-hmm. Night. Yep. We had Josh from Haunting Season. We had Steve and Sean from Mostly Horror Podcast. We had Ben Scrivens. Ba- ben. But <laughs> it was fun having guest hosts on. And they do get a little lengthy in conversation, but that's what yeah. makes... Having and fans of horror on the podcast, we a had lot of fun. fun doing it too. We had fun, and like there was like totally lots of funny parts that we had with them too. And just, I just think, just if you talk, just like not as just interviewers, but just people just talking about horror, that's mm-hmm. just the best part about it. That's what makes the interview better. Yeah, you know, it's like almost unscripted with being scripted. But what I just had a funny idea. No. So you know how like whenever we post a podcast episode, I always post something about it on mm-hmm. Instagram. Yeah. I'm thinking this time for this episode, I'm going to post, well, first I'm going to post a picture of the movie that we're going to be reviewing, but then there's going to be a secondary picture and it's going to be you. And I think with the post, I'm going to attach Blink-182's one more time on it. <laughs> it's like a little farewell post. <laughs> well, that that's funny. <laughs> it's sad but funny. Thanks, Aaliyah, for making it funny and sad. Anyway. So yes, but um but also to um what was I gonna say? Crap. Nice going, Aaliyah. I was just oh, and also some of our friends have been on the show. We've had Yeah, we've Adam, had a couple friends on the show. We've had Adam Kramer and also our favorite person to talk to on this thing, especially about horror movies, Carolyn Prevost. Yeah. I think we've had her, what, just on once, but we've always mentioned well, her too. Well, we had her on the podcast, and the recording for that one was so long, I had to break it up into two parts. I so, feel like that was probably our longest episode, right? That was our longest, I think that was the first time we've ever done it. Well, no, that, I take that back. <laughs> the Arthur Shawcross case was the first time we've ever done a two-parter, mm. but when it came to horror movies, I think this is the first time we've ever done a two-parter. Okay. Yeah. Man. So. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. But yeah, but is there anything you want to talk about before we go into our movie? Well, before I get into the news bulletin of the week, <clears throat> oh, I do wow. want to say that just because you're leaving the show, not permanently, you will probably come back for future episodes just as like a guest host. Well, yeah, I'll probably like stop by as a guest host. You know how like the mailman kind of like stop by and like, you know, gives the mail. Like it's like on a TV show, like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I was going to say like guest- Mr. McFeely on... Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? Yeah, I'm Mr. McFeely in this one. Yep. Yep. Or like um, the male lady from Pee-wee's Playhouse, like, you know, comes over and be like, Hi, Pee-wee! Oh, Here's your mail! Anyway. But anyway, no, so... You sound like Bob Belcher when he does his, like, <laughs> Thanksgiving turkey voices. Hey, you're funny! Yep. Yeah. 
Well, you know what's funny? Every time I have done that voice, I try my voice like that. It was always trying to sound like my mom when really it just sounds like Bob Ber- uh, Bob Belcher Bird, Bob Belcher's like characters. Yeah. Yeah. So my mom is basically one of Bob Belcher's uh, um, foods. Anyway. But anyway, the point is, news bulletin. No. So news bulletin. <laughs> so I'm sure a lot of people have already heard by now. It's we're. Should, we should be posting this by November 26th. So this happened early last week. Mm. But Spyglass has announced <coughs> that they have fired Melissa Barrera from Scream 7. For those I of can't you who don't, believe that. Well, for those of you who don't know, Melissa Barrera played Sam Carpenter in the last two Scream installments. Yeah. And she was set to be, again, the leading role in this next Scream installment. Spyglass Entertainment is a privately owned production company meaning yeah they are in some ways affiliated with amptp but only by their shareholders Mm -hmm. so they're privately owned by a team of shareholders who have some stock in the company right Mm -hmm. so to try to break this down in a more cohesive way the situation going on in palestine has a lot of people taking stances on who to support some people are Team Palestine, some people are Free Gaza, and Melissa's stance is, I'd condemn mass genocide, I'd condemn ethnic cleansing, I'd condemn religious suppression. Those are all things we understand. Spyglass has taken that post and interpreted it as anti-Semitic remarks, and that led to their decision to fire her from Scream 7. And in the aftermath of this, Jenna Ortega has chosen as well to step away from Scream 7. Now, I've heard different things. Some people are saying she left because of scheduling conflicts with Wednesday, the show. But most people are thinking she left because of her solidarity with Melissa. Either way, Jenna and Melissa are not part of Scream 7. Which means that Spyglass now has to redo Scream 7 entirely with a new type of story. But But I have also heard... Another, again, this is all alleged, so I don't know if any of this is true, but allegedly, Spyglass has considered hiring Nev Campbell back onto the Scream franchise. Now, the reason why Nev Campbell left originally from the franchise was because she felt like she should be paid more for coming back to Scream. I believe it was the last Scream movie, mm-hmm. which is fine. And she deserves that. Right. She deserves more money. Right. And that's fine. That if. That's she feels like she's worth that much money, especially being Sydney Prescott, the final girl of the Scream franchise. She and was that the is original fine. girl too, right? But the companies didn't want to pay her that much, and she said, "Okay, well, don't expect me to come back to Scream Six, and that's fine. Again, that's all fine." So now they're probably thinking, "Oh, we've got the money now to hire <clears throat> Nev Campbell back onto the franchise." What I think is so strange about this whole situation is that it's so bold of Spyglass, which again is a privately owned entertainment corporation. In the wake of the actor strike being over, you're choosing this opportunity to fire your leading actress from one of your biggest franchise opportunities to make and produce a movie that's part of horror's biggest franchise. That's a bold fucking move, Spyglass, okay? And also in the aftermath of all this, people have been boycotting the Thanksgiving movie that came out a few weeks ago because that is also a Spyglass produced (laughs) movie, which I understand. It's like when we were going through the writers and the actors strikes and people weren't reviewing or covering struck content because those were essentially fueling and feeding popularity to AMPTP Corporated production companies so and i know this is different this is like my point of view of this especially the boycotting or the controversy that's going on with thanksgiving Mm -hmm. like this reminds me because this is a whole different thing back in 1984 when they first released uh silent night deadly night around the holidays and everything that was also controversy too and stuff and people try to boycott it because of the violence in that movie yeah, but and, that's about the contents of the movie. It's yes. not about the history or the drama circulating around it. I know, but and that's what's happening here. I know, but it almost kind of made me made me think of that instead of like 
you know, like it made me kind of think of that because it was a holiday movie and it's, it's running with this controversy, but it's two different reasons. Yeah, these are two different reasons, but the point still stands is that Spyglass makes quite a bit like popular movies. Also, like I said, they're privately owned, which means that there are other corporations that have their stock in this corporation. Shall I tell you who it is? Do we have time? I can look it up. It's like one quick Google search away. So Spyglass Entertainment. I'm going to break this down as quickly as I can. Spyglass Media Group LLC, formerly known as Spyglass Entertainment, is a film and television production and finance company founded by Gary Barber and Roger Birnbaum. Sorry, Birnbaum in 1998. They've been, they're still active. Like I said, they are a private company. What does that mean? A privately held company or simply a private company is a company whose shares and related rights or obligations are not offered for public subscription or publicly negotiated in the respective listed markets, but rather the company's stock is offered, owned, traded, exchanged privately, or over-the-counter. In the case of a closed corporation or a closely held corporation, there are relatively fewer shareholders or company members. Related term, well, this is all from Wikipedia, so that just kind of gives you an example of what being a private company means. Their owners, a majority of the share is owned by Lantern Entertainments, and we've talked about Lantern Entertainments. They're formerly known as the Weinstein Company, Mm -hmm. and they bought out all of the library archives of the Weinstein Company's products, so Mm -hmm. they own most of Weinstein, what, what was formerly known as Weinstein Company's Movies, TV shows, images, all of that stuff. Oh, God. They own a majority of Spyglass. At 18.9%, Lionsgate also has a share in Spyglass. Oh, man. Yep. And then in the minority, we have Warner Brother Pictures, mm-hmm. World Group, and Eagle Pictures. So all of these companies have some stake in this corporation. I don't know if that means that executives of those companies have creative liberties to make those decisions, but Christopher Landon, who is going to direct Scream 7, has already come out with his own statement saying that, please stop yelling, this was not my decision to make, I don't really get a say in who the production can and cannot fire. And I'm like, okay, fair, but if you're going to direct the next Scream movie, you have to work with what you have. So if you're going into this movie knowing that it's part of a big franchise and these two actresses are your leading ladies, your whole story is going to be surrounding their narrative, now you have to rewrite the entire movie from scratch. With or without (laughs) Nev Campbell. And again, that's only if. So we don't know what's going on right now. We just, this is all we know about what's going on with that situation. I think as far as Thanksgiving goes, you and I have seen the new Thanksgiving movie. I'm not going to go too much into it, but we'll see how this uh, this plays out. Exactly. I think I think the whole thing is pretty fucked up. A lot of people, especially a lot of people in the horror community, also believe this is pretty fucked up. It's one thing to have a stance on something, whether it's political, social, economical. This is essentially a political issue, especially when our own country is somewhat involved in this, which is, again, not okay. Mm-hmm. But that that's what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. I don't know much about what is happening in Israel and Palestine to go too far into it, but I do want to recommend listening to Adam Canover's podcast, Factually. Factually, yes. Factually. He sat down with journalist, author, Nathan Nathan Thrall, who's from Jer- Jerusalem, and he kind of gives a bit of a history of, behind the two countries and the politics that goes on in Israel and the politics that goes on in Palestine and all this stuff. So I think it's very informative. But please do your research. We do have resources out there that you can look to educate yourself on the goings on. That's all I'm going to say. But, yeah, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a pretty good amount of information there. Yeah, because yeah, a lot has happened this past week. I mean, in in the span of one week, we went from having a promising installment of Scream 7 to now just not knowing what the fuck is going on I with just, Scream 7. I knew that it was too good to be true. Like, everything was going perfectly. 
And then when something like that happens, there's always something that kind of is just like a bump in the road. Yep. And I I didn't see it coming, but I kind of figured now something's happening. Mm-hmm. So it just it just sucks all the way through because honestly though the last movie was awesome and I want to see what they do with the next movie. Now it's just going to be there's a fork in the road now for mm-hmm. Scream. Figure out what's going to happen. Yeah, I do want to plug in some non-Western news sources because the thing too about international news is that in the U.S. and in some countries you're not getting the full story. You're only getting what the media flushes out and it may not always be the truth. There may be some details that are missing. So I do want to plug in some Instagram accounts to follow if you want to be more adverse as to what's going on. But Al Jazeera and their handle is AG plus on Instagram and the Middle East Eye at Middle East Eye on Instagram. So these are Middle Eastern news pages that you can follow to be more well adverse in what's going on and keeping an eye on what's happening right now so i just wanted to share that piece of news yeah okay so i let you pick the movie for review this week so let me do this okay did you did you really copy and paste everything from no not imdb onto paper no first of all i actually got this from my outlook my microsoft outlook okay so that's what i did Uh uh-huh and there was some stuff I got from online information-wise, but I tried to shorten it as much as possible. I do have some of my <clears> own <throat> notes, too, that I want to plug in while we go along. So. But I wanted to explain something, okay. especially to our audience here. Yeah. So this is my my last episode as a regular as mm-hmm. a regular host on here. So I told her I wanted to do something that would seem like in my fashion, especially, you know, doing one last hurrah. And I felt like since we're going into the holiday season, now that Thanksgiving is over, we're going into Christmas. So one thing I enjoy, especially in the horror subgenres of horror, I enjoy horror Christmas movies. So I told her, how about we just do a horror Christmas movie? I mean, we could have done Better Watch Out or It's a Wonderful Knife, but no, we're going with Gremlins. I was just going to say that. Thank you, Aaliyah. It's not my first choice, but okay. But I feel like... This is your show. Yeah, so I just feel like... Well, this is my episode. Well, this this week, it is your show. So you get to pick the movie. All right. So yes, but I just figured this is like the last one, and I just feel like, hey, let's just go out and have a good time, and what better way to do that than with Gremlins? Mm -hmm. Gremlins was always one of my favorite Christmas movies, which as a kid, I never realized it was a Christmas movie. And it's so weird that... People like the directors and the exec and the producers, like Steven Spielberg and Joe Dante, that mm-hmm. both worked together on this. They both said it's neither a Christmas movie or a comedy, but even though in some ways it's both, it's it's everything. It's got mm-hmm. everything in it, like you could think of. It's got horror, got comedy. It has very dark moments. It has Christmas theme and Christmas meanings, and just tons of emotion. And mm-hmm. it's, just, it's just a big, warm-hearted movie, but it's hardcore at the same time. Yep. But we can go into that, so. I did want to pull up the production companies, because you have mm-hmm. the distribution company, but you don't have the production. Oh, well, Steven Spielberg's Am- Ambulin, which I do have that in here. Okay. Yes. But, but Gremlins... The movie yep. we're doing today, Gremlins, released on June 8th, 1984, directed by Joe Dante. And has a runtime of an hour and 46 minutes. I got that in there. Well, you have 106. Yeah. That's essentially what an hour and 46 minutes, minutes is. is. Yeah. It's like people who say their child is like 18 months old. Your child's one. He's way older than 18. Like, if, yeah. you're, if your kid's 18 months, just say it's one. And this is... They're just, one year old. And the story is written by Christopher, uh, Chris Columbus. Right. Who's done mostly all of our childhood films. Mm-hmm. And distributed not only by Warner Brothers, but Ambulant Entertainment as well. That's Steven Spielberg's company. Well, Warner Brothers produced and distributed, but it's also co-produced by Amblin Entertainment, which yes. you said is Steven Spielberg's company, right? Yes, he made it. Okay, yes. cool. Would you let me talk? Good for him. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. Well, good for him because he's got all that money from all those movies he made in the early mm-hmm. 80s. Yeah, according to Joe Dante and Michael Fennell, the original rough cut of this movie ran two hours and 40 minutes. I'm yeah. sorry, that's way too fucking long. Mm-hmm, very much so. Too fucking long. No. 
Yeah, and actually the film script went through a few drafts before shooting uh, before a shooting script was finalized. Yep. The final version was much darker than the final film. Various scenes were cut, including one which portrayed Billy's mother dying in her struggle with the gremlins. Mm-hmm. With her head thrown down the stairs when Billy arrives. I would have loved to see that yeah, film. Yeah, and the gremlins killing the dog. Yeah, and uh, Dante later explained the scene made the film darker than the filmmakers wanted. There was also a scene, um, oh, what you were saying, where the gremlins ate Billy's dog and mm-hmm. a scene where the gremlins attacked a McDonald's, yeah. eating customers instead of burgers. Yeah, uh, these elements were never shot due to the fact that Joe Dante and Warner Brothers wanted the movie to be more family-oriented, so that's why we've got what we've got. Mm-hmm. And also, instead of Stripe being a mogwai who becomes a gremlin, there was originally no mogwai named Stripe, rather... Gizmo was supposed to transform into Stripe the Gremlin. Mm-hmm. Spielberg overruled that plot element as he felt Gizmo was too cute and the audience would want him to be present throughout the whole film. Yeah, in the year of 1984, this was the fourth biggest grossing film. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. Yeah, fourth biggest grossing film. Yeah, I wonder what the other three were. Actually, Ghostbusters was in it. Okay. That was a big one. and Because uh, I remember I saw this a long time ago. The box offices of all the 80s films mm-hmm. from each year. I think Gremlins, Ghostbusters, Karate Kid, I think, is up there in okay. the top five. Because that was a big film in 84. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to look at it later to see what were like the top five. Right. Like biggest draws in that year. But let me see. Yeah, Chris Wallace suggested they use puppets instead of the proposed stop motion idea mm-hmm. and as a compromise the studio suggested a <coughs> spider monkey in a suit which was tested as joe dante's at his office mm-hmm. uh the animal went crazy and tore the office apart and defecated everywhere that almost sounds like nope yeah <laughs> so then that led to wallace asking so puppets <laughs> like it's preferred I mean, that way yeah and yeah the- i mean this is why there's there's two big rules that movie makers always have to kind of tread water with when you're making a movie. Mm-hmm. Working with kids and working with animals. Yeah. Those two, I've heard, have been like the most challenging, which I understand both because surprisingly, child actors are a little bit more well-revered now than they were back in the day yeah but especially even with child even if you have the most trained and experienced child actor you're still gonna be conflicting issues with a child actor i mean even if they're having like emotionally a bad day Mm -hmm. they could have a lot of scheduling issues with schooling with other activities other scheduling conflicts you know their own personal well-being and keeping up with their own routine like at the end of the day these are still kids But with animals, it's a completely different subject because, yes, you have trainers. Yes, you have coordinators. Yes, you have, like, medics and vets on site. But you never know how an animal is going to behave unless you're well trained with that animal. Yeah. Okay. But, yeah. So, you want to get into the casting? Yes, let's get into the casting. I have a very big cast here, but... I do have a gist of the cast lineup. Yes, but let me do mine. Okay. So, the cast stars Zach Galligan as Billy Peltzer, mm-hmm. Phoebe Cates as Kate Berenger, Hoyt Axon as Randall Rand Peltzer, the father, Polly Holiday as Ruby Deagle, Francis Lee, Lee McCain as Lynn Peltzer, the mother. Are you going to read that whole list? Uh, not the whole list. Okay, Judge please. Reinhold as Gerald Hopkins, Dick Miller. Yay, Dick Miller. Dick Miller and... Jackie well, Joseph as both um, husband and wife Murray and Sheila Futterman. Okay. Yep. I got a two-pointer on that. <laughs> Glenn Turman as Roy Hansen. Mr. Wing credited as grandfather, although the character's name is revealed in the sequel, is played by Key Luke. Corey Feldman as Pete. Yep. And then Howie Mandel does the voice of Gizmo. Yep. Howie Mandel does the voice of Gizmo. And Frank Welker, who plays Freddie Jones in Scooby-Doo, is actually Stripe. Wait, who now? Frank Welker. He played Freddie in the Scooby-Doo show? Yeah, he's Stripe. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's okay. everyone's voice childhood of all like the 60s and 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s and up. Okay. He's still doing voice work, I think. I did want to talk about <laughs> Barney, though. 
Barney the dog a little bit. We played I by have, Mushroom. I, I want to talk about Barney because I found this and then we listened to the episode of That Was Pretty Scary but with Freddie Prince Jr. and John Lee Brody. And even John Lee Brody said the same thing. So the dog's name was Mushroom. The dog actor who played Billy's dog mm. Barney also played Lance Henriksen's dog in the cult horror movie Pumpkinhead released in 1988. And in the commentary, Joe Dante calls Mushroom... The all-purpose cutaway, because if Barney is in the scene and Joe doesn't know what to cut to, Mushroom has a priceless facial expression that'll sell it. Highlights include looking worried and offended as Miss Deagle is threatening to kill him, looking curious when Gizmo first appears, looking frightened when Gizmo first multiplies, (coughs) and he even moves in sync with the Gizmo puppet in several shots. Which is perfect. And he's Which I like, love. He's the perfect acting dog. I know. He should have got an Academy Award. It's he's such bull- a good dog. And now he's dead. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, Mushroom. <laughs> but anyway, let me go into the cameos real quick. Because there are a few cameos in this film that no one realizes it's in. Especially the voices. Two main ones that I know for sure. Michael Winslow, who played the voice actor in the uh, Police Academy films. Mm-hmm. And... Peter Cullen, who played Megatron... Well, actually, no, not Megatron. Peter Cullen played Optimus Prime in the original Transformer cartoons. Mm-hmm. And every other cartoon you could think of um, in the 80s and 90s and up. S- cameos also uh, feature Steven Spielberg as Man Riding uh, Bicycle. Yeah. And uh, Jim McCrell as Lou Landers. Jerry Goldsmith, the composer of the film, mm-hmm. as Man in the Phone Booth. William Schellert as Father Bartlett, Chuck Jones as Mr. Jones, uh, Billy's drawing mentor. He's the voice actor of all the Looney Tunes cartoons. Doesn't James Agenese call that scene the cameo convention? Yes, pretty much. Because yeah. essentially, it's this inventor's convention that Billy's dad goes to, yeah. and all of like the and producers and directors and big names in the movie making. I'm, Industry are in it. Yeah. I'm getting excited saying all these names because these are all the names that I grew up actually watching. And Kenneth Toby, as gas, as mo, a smoking gas station attendant, was in a lot of Roger Corman's films. Mm-hmm. And Joe Dante was actually pretty much inspired by R- Roger Corman and his film work. Yeah. So, yeah. And Dick Miller, who's in this movie, was in a lot of R- Roger Corman's films as well. And yeah. Joe Dante's. Yeah. And, One of my favorites yeah. being Chopping Mall. Yes. And he's the one that says that famous line, you dead meat. <laughs> anyway, anyway, at least one of Phoebe Kate's screams in the scene at Dory's Tavern is genuine. Mm-hmm. An enormous cockroach crawled out in front of her during one take. Actually, speaking of Kate, the film mentions an urban legend in which Kate reveals in a speech that her father died at Christmas when he dressed up as Santa Claus and broke his neck while climbing down the family's chimney after the film was completed, studio executives insisted upon its removal because they felt it was too ambiguous as to whether it was supposed to be funny or sad. Dante refused to take the scene out, it rep- saying it represented the film as a whole, which had a combination of horrific and comic elements. Spielberg did not like the scene, but despite his creative control, he viewed Gremlins as Dante's project and allowed him to leave it in. Which it was a parody, that scene was a parody featured in the next Gremlins 2 movie. How? Because she did the same thing. She did oh, she this... almost went into the monologue and then yeah, Billy's like, honey, uh, I don't think we have time for yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, honey, I we don't have that. time for that. And Gizmo looks at her like, eh. like, like yeah, that, like, cause really? Because when you and I first watched that movie, I was like, <laughs> are we really getting into this monologue right now? And then... She says it, and I'm like, man, that is so fucking morbid. And but then, that was great. And then we watched the second one, and she almost went into the fucking monologue again. And then Billy was like, honey, we don't have time for this. Yeah, and I'm like, was, thank you. Yeah, and it was so great, too, because the movie, the second movie, is basically a parody of its own, of the first one. Right. And But that's what made it so great, is that they were trying to almost copy that, and then they kind of blew almost a fourth wall and said, honey, we don't have time for that. Yeah, and speaking of Billy's dad, though he followed the basic outline of the script, Hoyt Axton said he had is said to have improvised nearly all of his lines. Oh yeah, he did improvise a lot of stuff, and he's that good of an actor, even though he's a musician. Mm-hmm. But he still like he knew what he was doing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I also thought it was kind of like a 
a bit of a cash cow to have Corey Feldman in it. And the reason Billy hangs out with a 13-year-old is because Corey Feldman was cast before Billy was aged up. Yeah, that makes sense. That was the original plan. And that was kind of weird to have him in those. I thought it would have been a little bit... Like, if you wanted to do, like, a family-friendly movie, have your protagonist be a kid who doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. Yeah. And clearly, Billy has no idea what the fuck he's doing when it comes to, like, having a mogwai. And because of fucking Corey Feldman... He's the one that started the whole chaos of the film because he poured water on freaking Gizmo. Right, because it makes sense for a kid. <coughs> it makes sense for a kid to make that mistake, but for, for a young adult to make a mistake like that, it's yeah. like, come on, dude. And it makes sense for Corey to do it because he's just a master of mass destruction in all his films. <laughs> yeah, he. I mean, that's the same year he did uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Four. Speaking of that scene, though, when Billy leads Pete up to his room to show him the Mogwai, a rolled-up movie poster for Twilight Zone, the movie, uh, has been seen standing on end against a wall. Yeah. Joe Dante and Steven Spielberg directed segments in that movie. Mm-hmm. That was actually just be- a year before that movie came out, too. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of nuts that they did that. Also, I want to talk about Mrs. Deagle a little bit. Just a little bit. All right, and then we'll go into the plot. So Miss Deagle owns a real estate company. Mm-hmm. There's a sign at one point seen in the backdrop. Hours of operation are only from 10.30 a.m. to 11.15 a.m., Monday through Friday. So this bitch only works 45 hours a day, or 45 minutes a day. And yet he, she makes all this fucking money? Yeah, she makes 45 minutes or no, she works 45 minutes a day, five yeah. days a week, and she has the fucking gall to go around and be telling people what to do with their lives. You actually saw the timing? Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, I'm like, what the fuck? This lady has nothing but... Like, this is why this lady literally has nothing better to do with her time than to, like, threaten people's dogs and, like, make lower-income families feel like garbage. And she has a really nice house, too. Yeah. Like Which, you- again... I'm sure if you have all the money in the world, you can make your own hours. Great. Good for you. But you should be doing a lot more constructive things with your time than fucking threatening kids' dogs and, again, making low-income families feel like garbage. Like, that's essentially what she does. Yeah. And doesn't she get, like, taken out by the gremlins? Yeah, she does. I love that for her. (laughs) Funny. But yes, no. So as we go into the plot now... Mm Mm-hmm. Struggling inventor Randall Peltzer visits a Chinatown antique store hoping to find a Christmas present for his son, Billy. Inside, Randall encounters a small furry creature called a mogwai. Cantonese means devil. The owner, Mr. Wing, refuses to sell Randall the creature, but his grandson secretly does, warning Randall to remember three important rules. Do not expose the mogwais to light, especially sunlight, which will kill it. Do not let it come in contact with water. Don't give it baths. And above all, never feed it at, after midnight. Randall returns home to Kings, uh, Kingston Falls, where he gives a mogwai to Billy as a pet. Billy works in a local bank, but fears that his dog, Barney, will be put down by widow mi- miser, Mrs. Deagle. Randall names the mogwai Gizmo and explains the three rules. Gizmo is friendly and docile, but when Billy's young friend Pete... He accidentally spills water over Gizmo. Five more mogwais spawn from his back. A more troublemaking sort led by an aggressive stripe. Named for the tuft of fur on his head, Billy shows one of the mogwais to his former elementary school science teacher, which is weird he did that, to mm-hmm. Mr. Hansen, spawning another mogwai on whom Hansen experiments back at home. Stripe and his fellow Mogwai trick Billy into feeding them after midnight by severing um, the power cord on his alarm clock. They form cocoons, as does Hansen's Mogwai, which soon hatch, emerging as mischievous dark green reptilian monsters called Gremlins, who then torture Gizmo and attack Billy's mother, Lynn. Hansen is killed by a gremlin with a with a syringe needle in his ass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Gremlins was conceived by Chris Columbus, uh, Chris Columbus, which you all know him by Home Alone and Harry Potter and all those films and just so many films that we all remember from the 90s and up. Mm-hmm. As Columbus explained, his inspiration came from his loft when at night, what sounded like a platoon of mice would come out to hear him skittering around in the blackness where, uh, where it was really creepy. He then wrote the original screenplay as a spec script 
to show potential employers that he was that he had writing abilities. The story was not actually intended to be filmed until Steven Spielberg took an interest in turning it into a film. As Spielberg explained, it's one of the most original things I've come across in many years, which is why I bought it. Spielberg considered Tim Burton to direct the film after seeing its short film Frankenweenie. Hmm. Interesting, right? I was about to say, what do you think so far of this? Um, Your thoughts? It's not my favorite movie. I'm just going to say that right now. It's not my favorite movie. I mean, I, I know this is like one of your favorites, and it's a fan favorite for many, but it's not my favorite movie of any kind. Okay. I'm just saying it's okay. It's okay. I know, I know. Everyone has a different <laughs> opinion. It's okay. Don't chat me. Anyway. Okay. But as we go on, mm-hmm. Lynn and Billy are able to kill the, off the gremlins except for Stripe, who escape to a local YMCA. There, Stripe jumps into a swimming pool, spawning an army of gremlins who wreck havoc, havoc, <laughs> havoc in Kingston Falls. Many people are injured or outright killed by the Gremlins' rampage, including Mrs. Deagle. Ha <laughs> 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 Kick rocks. Which they basically messed up her, um, um, what is it, the chair to go up the staircase? Oh, yeah, doesn't she have like a. Um, a malfunction on that thing. Yeah, like it's like one of those stair chairs. Yeah, for the stair chairs. Who, yeah. I <clears throat> love that. Kind of reminds me of whatever happened to late Baby Jane. How? Because she had that. Remember? No, she didn't. Yeah, she had that in the film. Was... Oh, in the remake she did, but not yeah. in the, not in the original. original. No. Oh, okay, but in the remake she did. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, and she's actually got thrown off because the malfunction on the thing. She went 60 miles on that damn chair, went mm-hmm. through a window, and land in the fucking ground. Face first, right? Yep. I love that for her. <coughs> you good? Yep. And uh, let's see. Uh, Billy reports this to the police, but they prove to be no help as they don't believe his story, of course, even after they show them Gizmo. As Billy rescues his girlfriend, Kate Berenger, they hide in the now-abandoned bank where Kate was revealed to Billy and Gizmo why she hates Christmas. Which, that was a very weird fucking scene, but it's whatever. When she was nine years old, her father went missing on Christmas Eve and did not come home on Christmas Day, either. Several days later, he was found dead in their chimney while dressed as Santa Claus, planning to surprise her and her mother. He accidentally slipped and broke his neck while climbing down the chimney, which, that's fucking awful. Mm -hmm. Still suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, Kate confesses this is why she discovered the truth about Santa Claus. Also, a cool thing about this, especially when it comes to directors, uh, after deciding to uh, to executive produce the film, Spielberg chose Dante as his director because his experience with horror comedy, Dante had previously directed The Howling from 1981, which is one of my favorite films. However, in the time between The Howling and the offer to film Gremlins, he has experienced a lull in his career. Dante began doing story work, uh, storyboard, uh, storyboard work on the film while also working as a director on Twilight Zone, the movie. Mm-hmm. A film which Spielberg also served as a director on. The film's producer was Michael Fennell. Um, yeah, Michael Fennell, who had also worked on The Halloween with Dante. Spielberg took the project to Warner Brothers and co-produced it um, through his own company, Amblin Entertainment. Hmm. I was about to say, do you think Dante was a good choice for this film as a director? Yeah, I think for the most part. <coughs> I mean, again, I mean, I like Joe Dante's stuff. I just... Gremlins is not my favorite type of holiday horror movie. I know. You have other favorite. Do you have a favorite horror? Wait. What's your favorite Christmas horror movie? Do you have one? I don't know. That was the, that I mean, was the thing. I Because here's the yeah. thing. I, and I'm, I'm putting this out there right now. I'm going to mention it at the end too. But I recently watched all three black Christmas movies for a collaboration I did with the Unbound and Reround podcast. And Avery how did that Cop- go? It went well. Like, I think that the first one definitely is the original. It's the strongest one. But I did like the 2019 remake a little bit more than the 2006 one. Hmm. But I think it's pretty good. Um, I wouldn't say they're my favorite holiday <coughs> horror movie, but mm-hmm. I still have yet to see a holiday horror movie that I genuinely liked. Yeah. I did recently watch Better Watch Out, and though I thought it was a really interesting take on some of a, like, somewhat of a horror home invasion movie mm-hmm. i was i don't know i liked it but there were things about it that i didn't like yeah i get that 
I mean, yeah. there's there's always going to be things that you like about a movie and you don't like. Even if it's your all-time favorite movie, there's always going to be one downfall or one little critique that there's something about it that you would, like, think of. Yep, and that episode actually will be coming out in mid-December. So while I'm on my little hiatus break, and if you still want to hear more of my voice and my opinions on the Black Christmas movies, you can go check out Unbound and Rewound Podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. All right, and now yeah. back to the final act of mm-hmm. Gremlins, narrated by Kyle. Billy and Kate discover that the town has fallen has fallen silent, and the Gremlins are watching Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs in the local theater. Mm-hmm. Why? <laughs> they set off a natural gas explosion, incinerating all the Gremlins except for Stripe, who left to commandeer. More candy at a Montgomery I mean, Ward. Commandeer. Commandeer. What did I say? Commandeer. Well, it commandeer. does. It does look like commandeer, but it's commandeer. Which you're right. Commandeer. More candy at the Montgomery Ward store across the street. As the morning approaches, they follow Stripe into the department store, where Stripe attempts to use a fountain to spawn more gremlins. No, Gremlins opens a skylight. Oh, not Gremlin. Gizmo opens a skylight, exposing Stripe to sunlight, killing him. As the local news reports on days on the day's mysterious tragedies, Mr. Wing reclaims Gizmo at the Pelt at the Peltzer home. He scolds the Peltzers for their <laughs> negligence and criticizes uh, Western uh, Western society for its carelessness with nature. Good point. Which is a good point. Yeah, very. However, as he turns to leave, Gizmo. Um, having bonded with Billy, bids the young man goodbye. Bye, Billy. Touched, Mr. Wing then concedes that Billy may be ready one day. And until then, Gizmo will be waiting. Yeah. <clears throat> Funny thing, this is what I noticed when I was watching the uh, the news anchor man from uh, uh, from the uh, from the news story. Mm-hmm. He's the same fucking anchor man from The Howling. Oh. Yeah. Same guy, everything, outfit, voice. It's like he made a um um. He built his own little universe. Yeah, he with, built his uh, yeah. Following and yeah, Gremlins. and he made a cameo appearance. The character huh. did in uh, in Gremlins as a newscaster. But wait, which came first, though, Howling or Gremlins? Howling, because it came out in eighty one. Uh, Gremlins came out in eighty four. Does that mean that news anchor in Gremlins is a werewolf? Yeah. Well, no, actually, no, 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 no. You almost weren't no, on board no, with me I there. I was kind of like mind blown, but no, that's not true. Because that news anchor man wasn't in the same room as that woman that turned into a werewolf. Wasn't he, though? No, he, he wasn't. He was sitting right next to her, though, no, at the table, though. But she he? didn't bite him. She got shot first by her best friend that was working at the news place. Okay. So she never ate, uh, killed anyone because she didn't want to. She wanted to show the world that. She was a werewolf and that there are werewolves out there. So because of that, she wanted him to shoot her. And Mm -hmm. so no one ever got turned into a werewolf. Mm -hmm. But it would be hilarious if that anchorman did get turned into a werewolf and he's still doing the news. You were almost on board with me for a second. You're like, wait a minute. (laughs) I'm like, wait a minute. Hold on. I've seen this film. But anyway, anyway. um, But the point is, is that for me... I love this film because it shows everything. It's not just one thing. It's It can be everything. And it's definitely a wonderful Christmas film that's full of horror, humor, love, and just just everything in between. It's mm-hmm. like a nice casserole. That's why yeah. I think of Gremlins. Gremlins casserole. So, yeah. But anyway, um, do you have any thoughts or anything you want to say? On the Gremlins? No. <laughs> Like, I, again, it's not my favorite movie. I know it's not. You've told us this. In terms of horror and holiday movies, it's not my favorite movie. No. But because of this film, this film was such a huge hit. It broke into pop culture with everything. It was merchandise and everything. It made made Spaceballs look like a bitch when it comes to merchandise. So, but honestly, though... I love this film, and I couldn't be happier to be um, talking about this film and doing this for one last episode. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I guess I'm good with everything on here. Uh, if you have something to talk about before we um, sign yeah. off. Well, like I said earlier, I have a 
I did a collaborative piece with Avery Coffee and Lucy Ball, the demonic puppet who does horror movie reviews on TikTok. Mm-hmm. And we did a Black Christmas Smackdown <laughs> conversation about the three Black Christmas movies. So we had the, was it 1978 original? Mm-hmm. The 2006 remake and the 2019 remake. And we talk about the similarities and the differences and which one was better and how feminist they all were and their themes. And I think that that is a really cool concept. And I really had a good time watching the movies. I had a good time talking with the two uh, content creators about it. So like I said, it's going to be coming out in mid-December. So if you guys want to hear that one, go find the Unbound and Rewound podcast. I do love Avery's show. It's really cool. She talks about horror from the uh, black queer perspective, which is a perspective that not many of us get on social media or on any media platforms, really. So I did want to do a little shout out for her. I wanted to bring that up in case anybody wanted to know if they wanted to hear like more of my voice and my stance on Black Christmas. But yeah, I do want to say that like like we said, we're getting into the winter holiday season, which means... We're going to be going into Christmas. There is a couple of movies that are coming out that are holiday themed. One of them is called A Creature Was Stirring. It stars Chrissy Metz from This Is Us, Connor Paolo, Annalise Beso, and Scout Taylor Compton. So it was very, and I think it's directed by Damien Levesque, hmm. which I haven't heard of before. Oh, uh, his name? I think he might be like an independent director. But yeah, I'm very excited to see it. It looks pretty good. And then there was It's a Wonderful Knife. I think that's already been out. Um, but I'm interested to see how that goes. So how about we end this show? All right. I mean, I do want to talk about a couple more things. Baby. You what? should have said this earlier. Okay. Uh, but just to kind of wrap up the season, yes. as I said before, I'm going to be taking a two-month break. So what? We all know this. You've said, no, that. You've I'm just said saying. this more than once. I am taking a two-month break. I'm going to be focusing on some personal projects and getting preparations ready for the next season. So I probably won't be back on the podcast until February of 2024. In the meantime, you can follow the Abby Normal Podcast on Instagram and TikTok. I believe during my break, I'll be doing more live stream reviews. I'll be doing a lot more letterbox reviews, which if you want to follow me on Letterboxd, <clears throat> I am at user handle Aaliyah J. Or you can look up Aaliyah Jones and you can find a picture of me with my Munster shirt on sitting on a tombstone. Nice. But that is essentially where you can find more reviews of mine that I have covered either on or off the podcast. And I'm Mm. very excited to see what next year will hold for the podcast. But like I said, I'm going to be planning and coordinating during my time off. And I hope that you all enjoy this season and this episode. Yep. And And I will be back on next February. And I would like to see what the future of 2004 holds for not only for you, but for me as well. Because since I am leaving... I'm going to be focusing more on music, mm-hmm. especially with my band. So with that being said, I actually am going to be recording a third album with my band. We have a tons of material that we still need a few touches on working on the new stuff. But it's almost done with everything that we need to work on to record for our third album. And mostly it's going to be done by next year anyways. Mm-hmm. So right now we're just basically recording until we get shows for the record and just kind of like do more shows for next year. So I will be having a much more prominent role within my band. I will be uh, the booker for the for the band for, for booking shows not only here in Rochester, but outside of uh, our region and other regions in New York and outside of New York as well. That I'm actually planning to do. And also I will be doing uh, the social media aspect too of our band. And I have our Instagram page. So if you want to find Grease Creepers, look us up on Instagram. We finally have it up. And um, because it was actually in demand of wanting to find us. So we have that. We have a band camp. So you can find us those as well. Yeah, there's a link in your bio and the Instagram page for your band camp. So Mm -hmm. if you guys want to go stream or just listen to what they have, they're on band camp. And yeah. 
And yeah, and I'm just I'm just excited with that aspect because I wanted to get more focused and back into music and wanting to like have that fire, which it's actually been burning in me for quite some time now, mm-hmm. to wanting to do more with music. Yeah, you know, since I actually got a little better with my arm now that now I'm back on drums and now it's not injured anymore. Mm-hmm. So I'm happy about that. I will say this before I do sign off here. I'm going to miss you all, even though I've never met most of you that have listened to us. But I want to say whoever listened to us from 2020 all the way to now, I want to say thank you for being part of our little podcast family. To listen to us rant and talk and bitch (laughs) and joke and laugh and just everything about what we've done on here. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I couldn't be prouder to do it with her because this is my wife. And I love her very much. And it's sad that I'm leaving, but it doesn't mean that we're ending. No, it just means that we're just taking time, you know, to do other things besides this podcast. And, you know, I'm, and maybe who knows down the road, I'll probably be like Mr. McFeely and come back and just kind of like, you know, see how everyone is. I think we'll save you for those days where I truly have nothing planned, no notes prepared. and It's like last minute. La- last like, minute yeah. game episode. Be like, hey, do you want to play trivia with me? And you'll be like, sure. And then we'll, we'll come on the podcast. I'm like, what time game. you want me to come over? Like, you know. I did have some fun ideas for the podcast when it comes to doing games. Because I know a lot of people like the games yeah. episodes. So <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking of things. I'm thinking of plans. But it's going to take a lot of time and resources to execute it so but that's why you take your time i know because you don't if you do it too quickly you're just it's gonna like fall on your face i know so with that being said i want to thank you all for being there with us and i'm gonna miss you all and i know you're gonna miss my voice some of you may not but most of you i know you will because i may be the funny guy on here but i do know my information about horror yeah and you know i'm gonna miss doing this stuff but you know what I'll be back, just like Frosty. Mm -hmm. And uh, with that being said, thank you all for being here. And thank you all for listening to this episode. So we're signing off now. Mm -hmm. Thank you all. I'm going to miss you and I love you. Yeah, we hope you all have a good holiday season and happy new year. Oh, yeah, that's right. We're not even going to see him for Christmas. I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. So I hope you all have a wonderful Christmas if I don't see you, which I can't. But it's okay. But this is our... Final sign off for me to say goodbye. And this is the Abbey Normal Podcast. I'm your host, Colin. And I am Aaliyah. Signing off saying. Justice for Melissa Barrera. As Colin walks into the sun to say goodbye.